You're listening to The Interrobang Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply family of churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Hey everyone, welcome to the Interrobang Room. I'm your host, Doug Witherup, here with John Hernandez and Zach Witt. We are so glad that you joined us. Look, a, a couple of things, um, guys, in case somebody's not watching the, the video feed and they're listening to the audio, I want them to know I got a couple, I got, uh, everybody's got an agenda. I got a little bit of an agenda. Here's my agenda. Um, I'm bringing back the ascot. There you go. <laughs> so Fred on scooby-doo <laughs> right with the with the oh with gosh. the white shirt i'm bringing it back oh. it's my it's my mask and then i'm also because sometimes i'm on stage or we're in front of microphones i'm going to transition from the ascot into i'm going to do this philip our producer philip i'm not going to touch the microphone but we're going to go Steven Tyler. Oh, yeah. A little yeah. bling oh around the... Oh, my gosh. Good, it doesn't yeah. look like a scrunchie And I just want to I want to throw down that challenge to both of you guys that <laughs> wow. to transition into from Ascot to Steven Tyler. <laughs> it's tough to do with my medical mask. Yeah, you got a blue... <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't scream I am a rock and roll icon, no, no. the medical mask. I think my wife's got it. some scrunchies at home that I could do that with. Yeah, though. there you go. <laughs> Big cute masks too. <laughs> wow, this just took a turn. Yeah, let's throw that up. Like you got, you got Wildcat I swag, do, I man. Do. Look at that. Boom! Shout out to the Davidson football team, whoop, whoop. who's not having a season this year. <laughs> just so not having a good season. They're just not having not a having season. Not having a season. It's uh-huh. it's canceled. It's yeah. definitely not a losing season though. So that's good. We haven't had a losing season. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the streak continues. Yeah. So. So, other than that, we're going to be talking about, <laughs> we're talking about the power of language, the power of language to unite people. I'm going to throw it over to John. John, kick us off. How does language, how does language work in, in our society and what does it, what does that have to do with, with unity? Yeah, so I'm a little bit of a language nerd. Um, just, just simply because the power of the written word when it comes to language has really shaped our world, right? When you think of things like our constitution, um, even for uh, the written word to be kind of a voice to the voiceless, when you consider like graffiti art and the way, um, the, the way language works into the written word, but also the power of spoken word. Right, the, the the speeches that inspire generational change in people. You can you can go back to World War One, World War Two, even even as uh, uh, you know early as nine eleven, and and see these these hallmark moments that just inspire generation of generations of people to change and transformation. Language is very present and a part of almost every aspect of our culture, but it's been used as both a tool to separate. And unite. Mm. I want. I want to consider the current climate of today's divisiveness. Right, like we are sitting in at the beginnings of our presidential electoral season. 
just for a moment. I know this is just the beginning, but it already feels like it's been forever, right? Like, right. I, I, like sure. <laughs> it's been like, it's yeah. like, feel like we're three years into a process that yeah. shouldn't be that long. It's only been a couple of weeks. But what you're starting to see is that candidates are starting to zero in on their language, using that language to uni- unify their base mm. and distinguish themselves from everybody else. So a tool to unify and to also separate. If you want to see this, I would say go to your local grocery store and hold up a sign that says something like, I support the wearing of masks. <laughs> now, just for a moment. If you do that, can you can you live stream that for okay. me? Because I don't want to be anywhere around you, but I'd like to see it from a distance. I just for a moment, this time last year, if you would have told me yeah. that wearing masks would be just hallmark like people are just making dividing lines about this this one deal about wearing masks right so what you'll see relatively quickly is everyone has an opinion but if you stand there long enough and talk to enough people you'll start hearing some similarities in the conversation because every side has their own language and what they start developing are these, these phraseologies, these idioms, for lack of a better term there, where they'll start hurling these one word, these one, you know, these, these one word, these one sentence statements. They'll start hurling these ideas across at each other and it eliminates the ability to have any kind of conversation. So just think about right now, all of the phrases that are currently using in our, being used in our culture that stop conversation dead. What it's creating is the sense that every side has their own language. In in a world where everyone's trying to divide, I I would say that a study of how to learn language can give us insight on how we can bridge some of these chasms of thought, Mm. right? So here's some things that I've learned about when when it comes to language. One of the best things to do when learning language is submersion. Right. You talk yeah, to anybody right, who's, right. Uh, you know, spent some significant time overseas or spent some significant times in a foreign country. And what they would tell you is they they're more just that it, learning the language becomes a lot easier when I'm inundated and right. surrounded. There's only so much a textbook could actually teach me. Yeah. Spend, spend four years in high school Spanish, spend one semester studying abroad. Yes. Yeah. So that submersion becomes critical. I, I for those of you who are not watching, uh, I am brown skinned. Uh, Puerto Rican by bloodline, but the truth is, I am a uh, uh, dis. I am, a, I am a dis to any Spanish person because I don't speak a lick of Spanish technically. Now, with that said, you get, but you understand way more than yes. you give yourself credit for. And I've heard you speak. You're not. You're not. Yes. Um. You're not as bad as Zach. Yeah, Zach just spoke more Spanish than I have all year. Yo hablo español. Un poco. Jenna's fluent. Really? Yeah, she lived in Arizona and she picked it up. Submersion. Yeah. Submersion. Yeah. Wow. So I say that because like I've been on plenty of different trips to different parts of South America. And what you'll find is, although I understand quite a bit of Spanish, the part that always trips me up is cultural idioms, like the differences from mm. country to country. Like you go to Mexico and I was in, I had a chance to go to Mexico for about three weeks with my family one time. And we spent some time at, in what, a city called Sacaparquio. And while we were there, it's mud huts. Um, in, incredible village. The experience was amazing, but it took me a week and a half to learn their Spanish. And a lot of it had little to do with the actual words, but it, the articulation, right. the way they said the words and uh, some of the cultural phrases like hola homeboy was a huge <laughs> word. 
like it was a, 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 a phrase that was so common every time someone started a conversation. It was hola, homeboy. I want now, that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> so hear it. Like, hear it. The word hola is, of course, Spanish. The right. word homeboy actually is, is, is originated in the English culture. It had made its way from L.A., yeah. And from L.A. down to Mexico, and it had become a part of their culture to the point that I had grown adults addressing me with, hola, homeboy. <laughs> it wasn't until I understood some of those nuances and phraseologies that I really felt comfortable. Uh, the problem is for so many, we, we're, we're afraid of doing the work of submersion. It requires a sense of vulnerability. Yeah. Now I am vulnerable. I become, you know, subject to translators and to the people around me to try to make sense of what's going on, and it becomes extremely uncomfortable. Now translate that to where we are in modern day culture with current language and the climate of division. We can't get beyond these one, these these phraseologies that have developed within our conversations, and it leaves us separated. Mm. So my question to kind of start us off this morning would be, why is it so hard for people to learn language? Yeah. Wow, John. First of all, I think just that this concept and this uh, premise of all this whole thing is just is fascinating with me because um, as you pointed out, if if certain language and certain phrases are divisive and it is like throw it's like throwing a hand grenade, grenade, right? Like mm. somebody's going to get hurt. And even the person that throws it runs the other way. Yeah. So it's like you're throwing you're throwing out a phrase, and then you're not even there to the for the follow up. And like we see this on social media, right? Throw out a post, and right. then the person that throws it out, they're not engaged, and you just boom, boom. It's everyone so else. It's an explosion. Yeah. So yeah. people are getting like they're shrapnel, and pe- people yeah. are getting hurt. So. Like, why is it so hard to learn a language? And I, I would, I would say that I would say this first of all. Like, if you truly love somebody, you learn their la- you learn their language. And yeah. I mean that like metaphorically, but I mean like that in, in real life too. I remember, um, so there was a, a, a family that I knew the Yo- the Yokish family, and I knew the the girls. Um, I taught I taught the girls Annie and her, her sister Caroline, and their mother was was uh, I'm gonna butcher the my accent here, but Colombian, not, not like Columbia, South Carolina, which love you, South Carolina, (laughs) shout out to Columbia, South Carolina, but it's different. Colombia, C-O-L-O, Colombia. Our mother was from, uh, from Colombia and her father was not, was, was, um, uh, from the States, but I can't, I can't remember exactly where. And when they got married, like not when they started dating, not when they were engaged. When they got married, uh, she did not speak English and he did not speak Spanish. Wow! So, like that, like that'll get you through engagement. That'll get you through the excitement of the honeymoon. But if you want to move from infatuation yeah. to a marriage, yeah, infatuation to living under the same roof, infatuation to raising two girls together, infatuation to doing life together. You gotta learn the language. It's not. It's not an option. Like if I care. So if I say I care about you, um, it's not up to you to learn my language. It's Come up on. to me to learn your language. Yeah. And I can't learn your language from a book. I can learn some phrases from a book. I can learn some. 
Camden and I joke about, my wife and I joke about this all the time, it's, you talked about cultural nuance. You find that even in the English language, right? So I'm Northern, I'm a Yankee, and she's a, she is a Southern girl through and through. And, and uh, 16 years into our marriage, we still sometimes look at each other across the dinner table I'm like, what, babe? Like, what did you, what did you say? Like, are you, are you asking for a writing pen, or do you want a safety pin? Like, like I really don't. Pin, pin or pen? Spell it for me, sweetheart. Like, you gotta. So there are, but like, if I. I had to learn some Southern. Yeah. I had to learn what a hosepipe was. <laughs> I had to learn what, yes. what, which is a garden hose for those of you who, who uh, don't speak Southern. But uh, yeah, you just gotta you gotta step in and you've got to to learn the learn the language. Um, Camden and I, when we were engaged, we were we were both in Honduras. We were in a, on a trip in Honduras. And we both got sick. And if you have not been other country sick, then you have Ooh, not been that's sick. Right. <laughs> like, that's right. I mean, I mean, stomachs messed up for days. I won't go into the details. Um, there is still a Hispanic cleaning solution that that is like they use it all over the place. They use it in the states. If I smell that today, I want to like run to the, run to the toilet. It's so <laughs> sensory. I'll move on. I'll move. I'll move on. Um, but we're laying, we're just, you know, in bed for, for a couple of days um, in a foreign country in a hotel. And, and one of the things that we did during that time was we each separately read uh, the five love languages. And if you're not familiar with that, basically Gary Chapman um, writes a book where he talks about we all receive love. So we all have a language in which we receive and give love. So the five love languages are words of affirmation acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, or physical touch. And so we, we love each other. We keep our partner's love tank, uh, Chapman's words, we keep our partner's love tank full if I give love in a way that Camden best receives it. So her number one, the number one way that Camden receives love is quality time. Um, so if I'm loving her well, and so what we tend what we tend to do, what we all tend to do, is we want to give love the way that we receive it. Right. So so my top two are words of affirmation and physical touch. So I may hug Camden, I may hold her hand, I may say, uh, "Baby, you look amazing today," and like she doesn't, those aren't bad. She doesn't like yeah. what are you saying to me, you know, yeah, like yeah. like yeah, that's that's fine. But if I really love her, I'm not going to love her the way I receive love. I'm going to love her the way she receives love. Yeah. I'm going to learn her language. So mm. um, I think it all it all starts with our with our heart condition towards other people. Like, do I really do I really care about the other person? It it it's incredible um, when we're motivated out of love. Right, yeah. like that motivation of love will allow us to be vulnerable. It allows us to step into those uncomfortable positions and conversations, even even in our marriage relationship. Right? How many right. times is this you have to have that awkward? Okay, we need to stop. We need to translate what's being said here, so that down the road, the next time you say that, I understand it fully. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that work, motivated by love, has been um, is what I believe is necessary in bridging some of these chasms uh, uh, of. The, that, that have divided us versus unite us. Now, Zach, you, you have several examples of how learning language has kind of shaped your worldview. What does that look like for yeah, you? Yeah, I'll go back to what 
Doug just said, um, learning someone else's language, right? Uh, too often we want them to learn our language. Right. So, so shift from love language to actual language. Yeah. We expect individuals to, to learn our language. And, and in the Western culture, the scary thing is we hear statements like this. This is America. Learn to speak English. Yeah. And we don't want to step into learning someone else's language, learning someone else's culture. Um, I lived in Israel. I did some study abroad time in, in Israel and uh, had a crazy experience where an individual uh, kind of walked up. Um, it was almost almost night, kind of dusk, and uh, to one of my friends and I and said, hey, um, started speaking to us in Hebrew. Don't speak Hebrew fluently. It could pick up some some words. I said, hey, man, I, I speak English. And and so he kind of switches a gear and just starts speaking in, in a language that I understood. And he, basically he said this, hey, it, it's the Sabbath. I need you to come to my house. I need your help. But I, I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why. Now, in, in, in my uh, naivety, I ran to his house. Again, this was probably, <laughs> this, this would have been, man, th- at this point, this is 11 years ago now. Yeah. Um, so... Sure, I'll go to your house. Right, right. <laughs> go to his house. His wife's inside. He takes us up up these stairs, and and he just points at the refrigerator, and he says, "I, I need you. I need you to help me. There, there's something on, and and it can't be on." And so I had these context clues that I had to put together. Now here, here's the caveat. I knew enough about the culture and enough about the day to understand that it was the Sabbath. There, there was a light on in his refrigerator that he needed help turning the light off. Mm. Because th- that was considered work. They couldn't, right. in their culture, they couldn't sure. do work on the Sabbath. And yeah. so he couldn't open the refrigerator door to turn the light off. And they just, it would have been a, a sin, right? They, yeah. they couldn't have done it. So I knew enough about the culture, enough about the language to understand what he was asking me to do. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that we don't want to step in to pick up on context clues. We don't want to step mm. in to, to have conversations with people. What we want to do is we want to say, hey, learn, learn my language. Right. Learn, learn my language. Um, when I was in boot camp, um, the, the thing that differentiated different groups or, or different platoons was the cadence of your drill instructor. Huh. So we could be marching and, and you would hear this commotion around us, but I had to pick up the nuances of my drill instructor. Uh, our, our drill instructor, Sergeant Hammer, our Staff Sergeant Hammer, excuse me, Staff Sergeant Hammer was his name. And uh, he, he would sing cadence, um, so left, right, left, to the Imperial Death March. So my Star Wars fans out there, <laughs> that was the cadence that, that he sang to. But when I first came to boot camp, it just felt like commotion. So when we're learning language, when we're learning different cultures, at the beginning, it can seem like chaos and commotion. But when we learn to pick up those cues, when we were, learn to pick up those different cultural cadences, uh, we can learn to step in into culture, and and I know I kind of shot off some some Spanish to you. Uh, don't ask Harrison to translate yeah. what I said to you, okay? Because <laughs> uh, I don't know if you'll be too happy. All right, <laughs> <laughs> but but you know we have a lot of bilingual we, listeners. We do, Zach. <laughs> we do. So I think it it was um, PG thirteen. I think what I said. Um, but but it, it it's learning different contexts. It's it's learning different language. Um, but but ultimately, I would say this: uh, when you talk about submersion, or when we talk about uh, learning language, it just gives us cultural perspective yeah. and it allows us uh, to step in and to learn something new uh, and to see it from a different light. So you had mentioned throwing the grenade and shrapnel. It would be my my dream to develop a generation of leaders who are able to walk through grenade blasts. Yeah. So what I mean by that is someone has to be willing 
to get past that first line of offense. So what I'd like to do is maybe even talk a little bit about how to practically do that. Here, here's some of my thoughts. First of all, you have to choose to not allow offense to harbor. For you specifically as a leader or however you're listening to this, I mean, when you think about that, even within the context of family, let's, let's move from the 3,000 foot of culture and, and race relations, just move right to like your aunt who always says that thing about your husband and it drives you nuts. <laughs> yeah. um, what I've learned is you can choose what offends you and what yeah. doesn't. Yeah. So if you're going to walk through shrapnel yeah. and step over those lines to bring unity, we need a generation of people who choose not to be offended. Yeah. Um, I think we need to start asking questions beyond the phrase. Um, think about it just real quick. And I'm going to throw out. Could I, could I jump in there? I think that's, I think that's huge. And I read, read this. Uh, my, my 13-year-old and I are walking through um, a discipleship. Uh, curriculum right now. Mark Batterson writes a book called "Play the Play the Man." Just l- learning like how to how are how to be a man in today's culture and society. But he said one year he just chose to I will I will live unoffendable. Yeah. Like how empowering is that? Just for our listeners to just say I'm I'm going to live unoffendable. You can't offend you can't offend me. Like you're. F- you're free. You're declaring your freedom before anybody even has a chance to get a get something in you. I just think that it's I didn't want to want to go pa- past that, but I I think that because because we're in a culture where people are just picking up offenses. Like I mean, they're collecting them like like baseball cards, yeah. or bottle caps. People no are just pick, k- picking up, looking looking for them. They, like they po- choose, they choose Pokemon. It. I don't know. Is that still a thing? Do people play Pokemon Go? Yeah, oh, sure. they're just like collecting, <laughs> collecting them. Like I will, like just that declaration. I'm going to live unoffendable. You can't offend me. Mm-hmm. There's such power in that. No doubt. Well, I mean, again, when you consider the phrases, and and I think this is where people, where, where we have to move past. We've developed these phrases. I, I can come up with with three of them, right? Like, Black Lives Matter, defund police, All Lives Matter, um, uh, heritage versus hate. Like we can. We can sit here for 20 minutes and what has happened is no matter where you sit on the other end, we don't, we're not willing to do the work that's necessary for true conversation. So we label people by the phrases that they spit out. So instantly they're a racist, they're a liberal, and it instantly creates that divide. One of the things that in order to live this life that you're shrapnel free, like to live without offense, you have to be willing to take the conversation beyond the phrases. Yeah, well, and, I, and I would say this, John, so let's like get re- really practical with that. So we're, we're leading an organization through, um, through some of the race, racial tensions, right? So what we've, what we've done and we're teaching our team is we're saying there are some phrases that we are going to lead above. So we're not going to throw that hand grenade, right? And it's not that we're not going to deal with the issues. We're going to deal with the issues, but we're not going to use that phrase because it's so charged. Um, even when you said those phrases, our, our listeners, no matter where you stand on those things, like your heartbeat rises a Attention, little bit, yeah. like you yeah. just, you tense up a little bit, right? And so I would say kind of our elite, let me throw in a leadership nugget, unless it is a context in which you're, you have the time and the climate. So those are both important. If you have the time and the climate to unpack the phrase, 
the history of the phrase, to present both sides of the issue, to come to an understanding. There certainly are those times, like we're hosting a, a lecture series around some issues of race and justice. Well, we'll go in that context, we'll go a little bit deeper into unpacking some of those things, but you can lead, so leaders out there, you can lead well and you can lead in a way that deals with issues. You're not avoiding issues, you're just leading above the issues by not using certain uh, grenades. Yeah, and, and the truth is people who throw grenades want company. They want, they want to know that other people are throwing grenades and they want to know what your grenade is. Yeah. So the temptation is to add a voice to quite honestly, something that's a phrase and not a conversation. And if we're going to walk through shrapnel, we have to be able to have those conversations. It requires work. And here's the only thing I would also add. In those conversations, we're not having these conversations for the sake of proving a point. Yeah. We, we got to know at the core, I think, in, again, in order to bring people together, the objective needs to be loving our neighbor and not trying to prove our neighbor wrong. I think that all of this lends to this idea, and I could be wrong, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, although I'm probably one of the earliest adopters of technology, you know, none of this works well online. Now, I, again, I could be wrong. Uh, you, can, you can send all your emails to Philip, um, our producer, he's the man, and he'll read every one of them and get back to you, but <laughs> the online platform is built for grenades. It's not built for conversation. Right. When we do find those moments where we can embrace but the, the problem is that even the contenting engine you know we talked about throwing the bomb out there and watching other people fight well we've monetized throwing the bomb out there so now there's nothing but grenades online mm. we have to be willing to do the work the picking up the phone the the, the time over coffee um those that's where the work of conversation and uniting people happens and and it would be my kind of moment of clarity i hope for those of you who are listening you don't unite people without work and if we're going to be a generation of leaders that kind of push past the shrapnel we have to do the work of conversation so i hope that that kind of inspires you and motivates you and moves you beyond the moment there's so much right now in our culture that is desperately looking for unification and and you know we're pastors. We talk about this all the time. One of my favorite passages is, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm. It means that there's a generation of people God's calling on to do the work that's necessary to bring peace, but it's work. Absolutely. So we don't do this every time. Let me, if you'll allow me 60, 60 seconds, our, 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 our listener base is um, hopefully people that are interested in a variety of disciplines, whether it's ed education, uh, theological concepts, science, um, and we don't see, you know, science and faith as, as polar opposites. We see them as, as working together. So um, we'd love to hit on psychology and, and just sociology and all of those different things. Um, can I just, you, you said it, we are pastors. And I just want to come at it from this, this angle in the last 60 seconds. So I'm, I made the uh, comment earlier that if you truly love someone, you learn their language. That's that's ultimately what, what we believe about Christ right. is that there actually is a God that didn't expect us to learn his language, but he learned our language. It's, 
it's the concept of what we call the incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God became flesh and stepped into our world. And I just want to encourage somebody, like maybe if you're investigating matters of faith, um, get a get a Bible. Um, you can you can Google that. You can um, get a you know uh, e- email Philip. He'll mail you one. P Burton, P Burton at uh, cfachurch.com, and he'll pop one in the mail to you. But like read there. There's a gospel, um, and gospel just means good news. There's a book about the life of Jesus called John. It's right in the right in the um, almost the middle, a little bit past the middle, but it just talks about how uh, there's a God that learned your language. And maybe that would just encourage you to begin a journey um, in a world that's very divided to to find some hope and to find some peace and, and find some truth. So again, thanks so much for joining us today on the Interbang Room, where uh, no matter where you're at, we do want to just encourage you to continue to live a life of passionate curiosity.